This is The Busyness Podcast. I'm Emily Austin, founder of London-based PR agency Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses, and I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my own business when I was fresh out of university in 2012, and since then, the world has become louder, our expectations have become harder to meet, and our lives have all become busier. We're constantly fobbing off friends with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm too busy. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? In this podcast, I sit down with some of the most exciting entrepreneurs, CEOs and founders in the world, asking how they manage their time, their lives, their brains, and of course, their busyness, to find out how they're able to cut through the noise and create some of our favorite brands. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Busyness Podcast. This week I'm joined by Connor Walker, who is the founder of House of CB, which she started in 2010 as a teenager. Connor is the real deal. She is so connected to her business. She has an acute understanding of how to launch and scale a company in this space. She has essentially been self-taught in the way that she's navigated through her business over the last, what, 13, 14 years. She's so full of knowledge and has this very endearing humbleness, which is extraordinary when you consider how successful she is. Numbers do vary online and, and naturally she was coy about talking about certain aspects of financials, but numbers have suggested tens of millions of pounds of profit in the business. So a hugely successful business by anyone's standards. We talked a lot about influencers and growing brands in this space. We talked about fast fashion and the challenges of sustainability. We talked about the pressure of starting a business young, how to retain 100% of your company. Connor is a Brit, but she lives in LA. So we also talked about that relocation and traveling. She's so likeable in person. I really hope that translates into the podcast. I loved chatting to her and I have no doubt that you too will be totally taken with her and her business journey with House of CB. Let's dive straight in. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you were doing before you started House of CB? I was at school. (laughs) So House of CB is my first and only job. Yeah which is um, quite bad, I would say. I feel you like think I bad? Have, yeah, I don't know. I well, should have, I have thought about sprinkling in other things just for experience. Yeah. Just, I don't know. <laughs> Does it worry you ever that like you would have no skills outside of oh this business? Oh my God, business? like once a year, I have this panic that I didn't go to university and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, but I actually feel like I've learned plenty on the job mm. in the last 14 years I guess did you have any pressure to go to university like were people around you doing that not really I mean at school they were and I got into a few universities and I just decided that I wasn't going to go which thinking about it now I didn't really like I didn't really pay it much thought I was just like oh I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and were you like from an entrepreneurial perspective was there Mm -hmm. a flair like early on yes so both my parents are entrepreneurial they did a bunch of stuff they've had 
pubs and restaurants and then they had a little furniture store and then they did furniture wholesaling and they've done like a bunch of different stuff and they would take me everywhere with them Mm -hmm. since I was born they used to work on like the market and stuff as well so they would bring me around and I guess I learned some of the ropes from them yeah and then like when I was younger they had like a little bar or whatever and I would go around when I was like two taking people's orders taking when their orders when you were orders. two yeah just like walking around like hey thank you and so yeah. so you were basically exposed to it and do you think you yes. said you mentioned earlier you're an only child do you yes. think that created a level of independence and comfort like being around adults being by yourself yeah definitely I just kind of you know like like I said being around my parents so much I had to like learn no I didn't have to learn but you're exposed to it like yeah. you said so you do just just learn and yeah being an only child there's no one to distract you or play with yeah so you're just there. so lonely <laughs> did you know it was fashion yes I feel like when I was when I was younger, when I was like a kid, I used to draw wedding dresses, which is really bizarre because I've never like really cared about getting married. Right. But I used to really love like designing wedding dresses. That's a very loose term. I okay. was literally a child. But you're gonna go on a date and a guy, you're gonna be like, I'm just not looking for anything serious, and then yeah. they come back to your house and see that you've drawn all these wedding dresses <laughs> all over the walls. Yeah, all over the walls. You're like, Hi. nothing serious at all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I was really into drawing wedding dresses and I guess like designing clothes. Yeah. There was that. And then just in general, like I was always interested in fashion and like put my outfits together and getting really dressed up and all mm-hmm. that kind of like pop culture stuff and all that kind of thing. So Were there entrepreneurs other than your parents? Was there anyone around you that was aspirational? Because obviously now, like if we take it back to 2010, yeah. 2009, 2010, podcasts weren't really a thing the literature available wasn't really a thing like schools certainly had no information for anyone who Mm -hmm. was entrepreneurial what was happening around you at that time I think there wasn't anyone specifically entrepreneurial that necessarily influenced me I am and was a big Jay-Z fan so at 17 huge similarities obviously yeah massive (laughs) as you can tell um (laughs) But um, he always had some like interesting interviews and he would cover entrepreneurship quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting as well. But at the time, it was just, yeah, no, there wasn't really those kinds of influences. There was a lot of like pop culture influence going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Instagram and social media had just started like becoming more popular, yeah, thing, mainstream, yeah. whatever. And obviously it had been around for a while, but that's when it like really picked up speed. And so, yeah, I mean, there wasn't necessarily anybody entrepreneurial, but mm-hmm. I feel like all the settings were right for me to, like, start my business. Then. And what was it that was attractive about entrepreneurialism? Was it making money? Was it independence? Was it creation of something? I think it was a bit of everything. Obviously, making money is always great. Yeah. We love that. We love that. <laughs> Welcome. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but creating something and not having to... I didn't think that I would really do well with, like, doing a nine-to-five. Mm-hmm. I've always been really bossy. And, yeah, I just felt like I wanted my own my own schedule, my own whatever. And just, yeah, being able to create whatever you want and having that control Mm -hmm. is more interesting to me. Did you have a big plan at the beginning? No, I didn't. So when I started, I was just buying stuff like from a wholesale market and putting them on eBay. Right. And that's when I was like 17. And I did that for a little while. And then I was like, they don't have the product that I want in the wholesale market. So then I had to come up with, like, my own designs. Again, very loose term. Yeah, sure. We're air quoting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, super loose term here. Yeah. But, yeah, so I came up with my own designs, and I would just sit in the factories and, like, explain what I wanted. Yeah. And then they would make it, and then I started putting those on my website. I had a little website built, sorry. Skipped a step. Yeah. Um, so long ago. And how did you do that? Did you 
know someone or did you just get an ad somewhere Uh, no so there was this guy I knew that like built basic websites so he helped me do that but then I also learned like very very basic code yeah of so I would photoshop my own pictures and do all my own graphics and stuff and save them and then like very basic code put them in to the code of the website yeah like add a widget and then yeah exactly the very basic it was it was basically like fancy blogs where were websites of 10 15 years ago yes but that's what it was like it was really clunky like the the user journey wasn't the same it wasn't as important back then i remember i used to feel like i would look at my website and be like is this what victoria's secret would do and in my delusion i'd be like i think it's pretty close yeah very similar actually (laughs) did you feel any pressure to have a like in real life physical presence or was everything saying to you like online is the place Um, to be no i mean i didn't feel pressure to have a physical presence but we opened the west store it was in a different unit at the time literally across the street from where it is now and down that street there was like no other stores really it was pretty empty (laughs) so they pretty much gave it to us for free right perfect (laughs) um but no foot traffic but no foot traffic but i was like whatever i'll try it and um yeah it got really busy there for us so it you know it worked worked. out and then we moved across the street a few years later and whatnot but i didn't feel pressure to have a physical space but i did think that it would really cement the brand yeah and it's so funny that i even considered it a brand then because now i'm like that's not a brand yeah and so you you started the business you essentially like bootstrapped it like Mm -hmm. you know a a kind of shitty website Mm -hmm. you know probably hand you your logo or whatever it was yeah can you give me a sense of how the size of the business now so we yeah we have quite a lot of staff how many staff do you have so main offices are just like i don't know probably 200 but then our factories are our own as well which is a few thousand Mm -hmm. and then you've got store staff then we've got store staff yeah i forgot about that yeah (laughs) and so do you like obviously lots of people start businesses Mm -hmm. lots of people listening to the podcast will start the business very few people can be the person that starts it scales it and then Mm -hmm. continues to run it yes has your skill set had to evolve quickly to kind of keep up with the business i mean definitely but also like we've i've been doing this for 14 years yeah so it's not like an overnight thing it's something that i've learned as i've gone and made mistakes and whatever else but definitely i mean my skill set skill set your skill set my skill set is language obviously Uh, (laughs) yeah um is very much like customer facing marketing branding design all that kind of thing but yeah i've kind of had to learn all of that as i've gone and you learn all of that through through doing it and making mistakes and whatever else but it's been quite a time so i feel like we've grown at a pace that is manageable yeah Whereas I think a lot of brands, not a lot of brands, but some brands now may have like more of an overnight success. And then they're like, oh, shit, what do we do from here? Yeah. And they haven't really had the experience in scaling at any point yeah. to then be like, ah. It's really interesting that you say that because in COVID, a lot of brands like I work in, we've got fashion, but we've also got lifestyle. And a lot of mm-hmm. our lifestyle brands had this huge opportunity because people were buying more supplements or gym stuff mm-hmm. or whatever the kind of obvious brands that did well in covid were and they were so unprepared they just didn't have the infrastructure for the growth and yeah they grew way too fast took on too many people and the whole thing sort of splintered and crumbled and yes. it must be very difficult to maintain that pace when mm-hmm. you're motivated for growth and for dominance have you had to turn anything down that was painful to do no not really but i think things seem to come to us at the right time so like at the moment we are doing a big rollout with nordstrom we just opened another like five mini stores with them last week so 
you know, we keep adding to that. And um, I think if they had asked us to do that, like, I don't know, five years ago, we yeah. wouldn't have been able to even provide the stock. Yeah. In terms of your trajectory over the last 14 years, has there been a point where you were like, this has worked? This is beyond what I thought it was going to be. And it's now a beast. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've <laughs> always got more aspiration. But was there that a point the where you were like, it's happening? Yes and no. Like, to an extent. Yes, when I was like, okay, I'm going to make a brand. Yeah. Quite a few years ago, I was like, okay, no, this is a real brand now. Like, I've managed to make a real brand. Mm. And then obviously, like I said in the first place, that, that wasn't even my intention. I was just like, let me just sell these things on eBay and yeah. make some money. But yeah, so quite a few years ago, I was like, okay, this is a real brand now. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, every time we reach a milestone, I've already moved to the next one yeah. my focus is already on the next one that one's already forgotten so by the time that we get there I'm like that's not okay yeah, that's old news. <laughs> yeah. do you ever do you take time out to enjoy the successes like if they win you know personally if there are awards yeah. or opportunities or if you just have a brilliant year and like hit target revenue targets um, or whatever are you good at sort of saying not really no. I'm not the best at it no because I'm always just like okay we can do more or let's try something else it's yeah. you know do extra things <laughs> no I get it it's also interesting that you talk about how you started because I think you probably the same but I meet so many people now that are like oh I'm gonna have a billion dollar brand and I'm gonna you know and you just think yeah like call me when it happens love mm -hmm. because it's not about people needing to be less ambitious it's just mm -hmm. like needing to be a bit more realistic about how it works and yeah you, you know first just like turn a profit or like yes. first just you know get yourself to being a viable business yeah do you think it helped you that at the beginning, you were like, lovely, I'd just like to sling a couple of these things on eBay and see where that goes, yeah. as opposed to being like, I want to be this multi-million pound global brand. I think it removed that pressure from me. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try selling these. And I sold them. I was like, cool. What else can I do next? Okay, I can make my own clothes. Oh, people are buying them. Cool. What else can I do next? Okay, we can make this like a real brand yeah. okay we've done that and then it's a numbers game but yeah <laughs> I definitely, now it's a numbers yeah. game <laughs> but I definitely think it removes that pressure and also that expectation mm -hmm. so I think sometimes when people start a business they think okay yeah I'm just going to start this and I'll I'll do I don't know a hundred thousand sales in the first week or whatever yeah. it is and realistically unless you're like famous or somebody known already mm. realistically the first few years are like pretty quiet yeah <laughs> They're like not, anyone? Yeah, they might be a little bit disappointing, you yeah. know. And I think it's always good to have, like, I want to be a billion-dollar brand, but also to be, like, how am I going to get there? Right. So it's like, that is the ultimate goal, but then how are we breaking this down? Yeah, there's so a that's, plan. Yeah, so that's kind of achievable. And I'm I'm not a huge planner either. This is very uninspiring. I'm so sorry. No, it's um, probably very inspiring. I'm sure there's loads of people listening who are like, same. I also don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Do you but, feel like that ever at work? Do you, I mean... Obviously, you know, I have sort of gleaned already in the short time I've known you that you mm. are humble and you're not <laughs> going to come in here and sort of talk about all your successes. Mm -hmm. But have you ever had any, I guess, imposter syndrome is the sort of like definitely. current term, but like are there times where you're like, fuck, what yeah. am I doing? No, definitely, 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 definitely. And are they now. connected to something specifically? Has it been um, like... A, a money thing or like a growth thing has there been a category that you felt I, less competent at I mean I think it's kind of all over like you're just like sometimes you're just like 
just ordered all this stock of this stuff. I have no idea if it's going to sell. Is it yeah. going to sell? Will they like it? And like you just kind of get into your head, you yeah. know? I just feel like you always get that imposter syndrome in general. Yeah, it creeps I in. I get it in general, yeah. Do you think it's bad, though, or do you think it's integral? Because I was reading something the other day that said that successful people have two traits that always intersect. One is they constantly feel like they could be doing better Mm -hmm. and the other is that they feel like they have something special they can add so it's like this intersect of like I do believe that I can do something Mm -hmm. impactful but I also feel like nervous and out of my depth and like have those feelings but I think that is um, a sign that you're probably good at what you're doing because people that are just like I am the best at this and no one is better then it's like something's wrong you're not being self-critical you're not being critical of your work but yeah I think you swing between the two you're like I I do know what I'm doing and I do have a natural talent at this but at the same time anybody with a brain is going to be like what am I doing yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) guys what are we all sat here for yeah exactly and especially as you do like new things and you just, you know, you obviously just give them a go and you try. Yeah. And then sometimes you might just be like, is that the right idea? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have there been any big flops? Has there ever been like a product that you've been like, guys, I've I've nailed this. And then the <laughs> yeah. numbers come in and they're like, you didn't nail yes. that. Yes, definitely. I've done that quite a few times. So years and years and years ago, I tried to do a jewellery line. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, major flop. Was I, that because what? Because the customer wasn't no, interested it's in I that. No, was shit at making jewellery. Oh, fine, great. <laughs> Perfect. I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. Mm-hmm. And making jewellery is just quite difficult. Yeah. And I actually do think that I could do a good job of it now. Okay. But <laughs> maybe something time, we can look forward to in the yeah. future. But at the time I was just like, no, it was it was a flop. It was a yeah. major flop. Was that hard for you or were you like, I sort of know that I didn't really No, when the samples and stuff came back, I was just like You've embarrassed yourself. Yeah, I was like, I don't think this is my best work. <laughs> and then probably like ten years ago, mm. I tried to run before I could walk and I tried to do House of C B Beauty. Yeah. And I just wasn't ready for it. I hadn't learned enough. I was still learning the ropes of, like, the clothing, fashion, retail business. Hadn't learned enough. It was a bit of a disaster. Mm -hmm. I think people, like, liked the idea of it at the time. I mean, we were so much smaller then than we are now. But, oh, my God, no, it just all went wrong. The packages were leaking. Everything was just a mess. I had to literally dash all of the stuff. Did you? Just throw it out. So do you think that, that, like, (laughs) focus and, like, doing something really well is important? Because then it gives you the opportunity to Um, say, now, like, actually, I'd like to look at that again. I actually believe that it's always really good to try a bunch of different stuff Mm -hmm. and I don't think it matters if you fail at them as long as you like learn what you did wrong with it but then at the same time yeah I do also like to like hyper focus and really like fine tune one thing Mm -hmm. so I don't know it's a case of like for me it's like the one thing is house of CB yeah but I just felt like I wasn't ready for those other departments yet yeah and then now we're in a space that we're ready for it now we're in a space that we can take over those categories yeah exactly we can introduce new things but at the same time I don't think it was bad that I tried it doesn't matter it hasn't affected the brand in any way so I'd love to see those samples though if you've got time Um, (laughs) so take me back so 2010 Mm -hmm. different time Uber hadn't launched in the UK Mm -hmm. Netflix hadn't launched Twitter was in its infancy, was a celebrity platform, really. Yeah. Instagram was iteration one, very clunky. Reality TV, we probably had TOWIE here, but there I wasn't think, much else. Yeah, I think we had TOWIE and Geordie Shaw. Geordie Shaw and Jersey Shore. <laughs> and well, Jersey I mean, Shore. obviously everything yeah. in the US, the hills, which we like grew up on, probably yeah. the same as you. What was happening 
in the sort of online fashion space? There wasn't really that much. I feel like we were one of the first brands to really like utilize social media in like a marketing way mm-hmm. and getting those like reality girls and whatever to wear our stuff and tag it and do that kind of seeding. Obviously, there was always like Hollywood seeding and that kind of thing. Mm. But in England, we don't really have that. No, we don't have that. <laughs> but it's interesting as well because I guess there was this real growth so probably when I was at university I was at Manchester mm-hmm. and that's where like misguided AX Paris yes it's where that shift to in online the style happened. yeah but it was like yeah. they all sat in this like very cheap fast fashion yes. proposition and at the time it wasn't really an issue because we mm-hmm. sort of people care a lot more now than they did a decade ago but your positioning in the market obviously is elevated and more mm-hmm. premium and it doesn't sit in that category. But did you worry about price points when you were seeing this explosion? Really, I guess, off the back of like the ASOS yes. boom. Yeah, it definitely was off the back of ASOS. Um, not really. I feel like when you put uh, like one of our garments against like a fast fashion garment, they're not they're not in the same yeah. ballpark. And I think that people come to us for a very specific reason and they're looking for a specific type of product. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they're looking for a fast fashion product, they're probably not going to come to us. No. So I wasn't ever really too worried about that. And I think it actually kind of worked in our favour that there wasn't too much competition in that space either. Mm-hmm. Like people that were providing good quality product mm-hmm. that was also a little more interesting than than like workwear there was like a lot of like Reese cost I don't know if cost was around then but that kind of yeah. French connection type oh my god thing yeah R.I.P. French yeah. connection <laughs> they were all a little bit more expensive yeah. um, but they were quite like worky I yeah. think and we were fun and we had good quality and we had a good price point. Yeah, great imagery. Um, yes, exactly. So I feel like we carved out our own little niche. Mm-hmm. So I was never really too worried about that. When you launched in the UK, did you mm-hmm. have aspirations of America? Was that always something you saw as somewhere to conquer? Yeah, I think so. I think that like when we started in the UK, we grew pretty quickly. And we did quite a lot quite quickly mm-hmm. at the time, at least. And then from there, I was like, yeah, so the next thing is going to be... America. What year of the business did you go to the US? I mean, we always sold online worldwide. As you had like a global from, Yeah, shipping. from the very beginning, we, yeah, we did global So shipping. you could already see your data of like, we've actually got a lot of yes, orders from the US. we were starting US. to pick up there. And then um, the same thing we were doing with like the reality girls and stuff yeah. in the UK. We started just reaching out to them in the US. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I guess it's been... Like 10 years, yeah. So it was about year four? Yeah, yeah. At that time, did people come back with huge fees or did people want to wear the product? Yeah, they wanted to wear it. And it was like now, obviously, there's so many brands, there's so many influencers, Mm. celebrities, everything else. And it's become a lot more transactional than it used to be um, when it first started anyway. And so, yeah, we would get a bunch of placements for free. I would literally go to LA and just... Hand it out? Yeah. Literally. I mean, it worked. Turning up at people's places like, hi, I have delivery. Thank you. (laughs) You you started really young. Mm -hmm. There's definitely like less risk involved with starting a business young because you Mm -hmm. don't have like mortgages and kids and things. But also like you don't know anything because you've never had a job. So there's also massive drawbacks. For you, what were some of the benefits and or drawbacks Um, of starting so young? I feel like when you start young and like basically with like hardly any money, you have to like be creative Mm -hmm. in your problem solving. And a lot of the times being creative in your problem solving lends to you coming up with things that actually give you a better return. So 
I don't know, really early days, I couldn't get a photographer and a model and shoot our pictures and do all that stuff. But then we just kind of took the content ourselves and that was fine. Mm. And I think that when you don't have the resources that other big brands have, you have to be creative and come up with different ways of problem solving. Mm. So I think that's something that's actually quite helpful a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. But then obviously at the same time, you don't have the resources (laughs) that other people have or the knowledge. So you're going to have to learn it and that's going to take time and that's going to take longer than than people that already know that, that kind of thing. Did you find it tough, particularly in your early 20s, because... I mean, I started when I was 22 and most of my friends couldn't even spell job, let mm-hmm. alone like have a career planned out. Did you feel different to your mates? Was, were any of your friends doing entrepreneurial stuff or were um, you sort of in your own lane cracking on? They weren't really doing entrepreneurial stuff, but they were all going to like uni and being smart. The pub. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I never really felt different or that I was on some kind of like special different path Mm -hmm. I just felt like I was doing what I felt comfortable doing and what I thought I would enjoy and be good at and also I was raised in a household full of entrepreneurs so I never really had that fear of failing and I think Mm -hmm. that's a really big deal and also of course I lived at home I didn't have to pay rent I didn't have that worry my upbringing was very much you know take a risk take a chance yeah doesn't matter if it fails you get up try again yeah um which is obviously a very privileged position to be in but it meant that I also wasn't I didn't really fear failing yeah it's a good I remember my dad saying that you have to accept that you could fail Mm -hmm. and once you accept that like you're on your way yeah because then you're like oh well fine I'll just be like 25 and really employable yeah it really doesn't make any difference (laughs) yeah and every time you do like fail at something there are things you learn from it and then you know not to do that again yeah and there's a lot of things you have to like learn that way. Yeah. You can't just like read it and apply it. Yeah, a lot Maybe, of clangers where you're like, yeah. Oh, that was, that <laughs> like, was a oops. learning day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tips for brands launching into the US? I think that you have to have a really, really good product. By really, really good, I don't necessarily mean like you have to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. but you have to have something that other people don't necessarily have. And that people want, which yeah. I know sounds so incredibly basic. But you There's have something to have like 58% of businesses fail because no one needs the product they've created. Yeah, and sometimes you're just like That's not an official void. stat, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look it up. You're like, there's, um, there's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's more than 50%. But yeah, a lot of the times you're filling a void that people don't actually need. Yeah. I don't know. Like When people are like, what's your USP? I'm always like, well, we don't really have a USP, I guess. I don't know. I just don't really co-sign to this whole idea that you have to come up with something that no one's ever seen before right but you do have to come up with product that nobody else has right which sounds really contradictory no but... I get what you mean I guess also you've created this brand that you know very well so the customer that you're serving you're yeah. giving exactly what they want exactly they might not know they always want it but when you yes. the way you've shot it the price mm-hmm. point the colorway like mm-hmm. the trend cycle you're creating something for a very specific audience that you know very well. Also, it's really interesting with your brand because there's definitely a sexiness to the product, but mm-hmm. it's, it is very accessible as a business. There is a tone there that isn't elitist. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you've got like different sizing, your imagery is diverse. It sort of allows people to kind of step in and mm-hmm. purchase and wear something that makes them feel really good. And I guess your 
interest and experience and skill in the like marketing branding piece is a huge part of you know because yes. you if the same product could not have done exactly and well somewhere else yeah and you do have to consider that like you might have something really nice but you have to be able to sell it to someone you yeah. have to and by sell it to someone I mean literally like convince them yeah. that they want to buy it but at the same time if you start with a really crap product yeah you can do all the selling in the world, but it's not really going to last very long. No. Because once people realise that it's crap, then they're not going to come back. Anyone can sell like 100 products. It's like yes. you need people to come back and buy yeah. the next 20 dresses you put exactly. on the site over the next yeah, like, two years. Yeah, if you want years. a brand that has longevity or, you know, whatever, a service that has longevity, yeah. you want to have people keep coming back. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that product really is the most important yeah. aspect, I guess, of launching in anywhere US mm. or anywhere else and then yeah that's followed up by how it's marketed and how yeah. you package it and how you sell it to people do you relocated to the US do you live in LA yeah I come back and forth between the two a lot do you like LA love LA <laughs> have you found it to be I mean we've seen a lot of these really high profile business women whether mm-hmm. it's Jen from away Emily mm-hmm. Weiss at Glossier we've seen it's happened also with brands like Reformation, this kind mm-hmm. of trend towards like the takedown. It's not exclusive mm-hmm. to women. There's lots of men who work in business yeah. who've had the same. But do you ever worry about what that exposure could mean for you in terms of like you are a very successful entrepreneur who's created a business that really connects with people. Mm-hmm. But with that, you have to accept some level of intrusion into your yes. individual personal life. Does yeah. that balance worry you in a culture where sort of people are so um, vocal online? Not massively, but I'm also not massively forward facing. Like I do have a public Instagram and stuff, but a lot of the people you listed are like super like at the forefront of their yeah. brands. And I think some of them were probably people of like public interest prior to launching their brands whereas mine was I'm not a person of interest before launching my brand my brand comes like before me you know people are only interested in me because of the brand whereas some of those people are interested in them already and then the brand followed so I feel like that's a slightly different dynamic I do think that women are held to a different standard than than men are especially when it comes to like taking down women I feel like I don't know Sophia Maruso got handed a really bad yeah she was know. like early in that yeah well. I feel like she really kind of paved the way for that with the whole girl boss book and stuff but then I feel like now people are just like oh whatever it's you know cancel this she's like reinvented that. herself though hasn't she it's been yeah. like a big part of her yes her brand but yeah I guess you're right it's like the interest is connected to your business yes so that's sort of the limitations within which people are sort of then interested in your profile I guess yeah. I've been asked to do a bunch of different like more public stuff um and it's just not something that really excites me and I I'm always like oh I should do more it'll be good for the brand and then mm. I'm like I hate it <laughs> you hate so it then I yeah don't. well you're miserable today yeah you know? but you <laughs> hate, hate it here. you hate it yeah. <laughs> you hate it but also like you know the brand is hugely successful Mm -hmm. and that's probably as a consequence of you doing your job every day so it's like for you to give away part of yourself or something Mm -hmm. you don't want to do has to really tangibly add value and if you're like it doesn't really then I can understand why you'd be like and I think a lot of the time you have to really commit to doing that you have to commit to that public role but I'm not like against either way either or I just think for me personally I'm not at the moment yeah massively into it are you in the office every day 
Yeah, I mean, our main office is here in London. Yeah. But I am talking to them every day. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from weekends. They love it. Don't sue me, please. Yeah. <laughs> I contacted them all before and I've got some quotes that they said yeah. about you. No, I'm kidding. They were like, we fucking hate you her. You know, no, I doubt it. I mean, you, you have such a like positive community online. I think mm-hmm. it's like, it's a really difficult space to be in because there's so many expectations of how female founders but also brands that are aimed at women represent Mm -hmm. themselves and I think it's very difficult because some brands want to show body hair and stretch Mm -hmm. marks and all different sizes and other brands don't and there's everything in between and there's everyone has a different perception of what Mm -hmm. diversity is some people care more about supply chain some Mm -hmm. people you know like there's There's so so much I mean how do you even prioritize that is it like you are researching constantly, you're speaking to customers, you're very in touch with that stuff. Yeah, I think we are basically a social-first brand. Yeah. So most of our marketing and stuff is social media. We don't do a bunch of paid stuff. We do some, um, and I'm certainly not against doing more. I'm not, you know, oh, we just do social. Like, yeah. I don't really care. But <laughs> uh, social has worked really well for us, yeah. and um, it continues to do really well for us. So what it allows us to do is literally directly talk with our customers Mm -hmm. and even like silence from them also lets us know yeah that we don't like something but yeah we get a lot of feedback daily Mm. and we look at all of that we you know some comments we can see some value in some we don't it's just how it is and I think it's just something that's ever-changing and then as an independent brand we do what we can Mm. and yeah we just you know we we look at the what our community is saying we look at what they're responding to we look at what they're not responding to and we always just look at how can we be better yeah and we just try our best to be better we're not always gonna get it like 100% right Mm. and we're also not like a huge corporation as well that has like a huge team doing that so yeah we just try and keep pushing it forwards basically have you thought about exits have you been approached in your career yeah we we were approached before we don't have any investors or anything like that at present and I wouldn't really want an investor but I do like the idea of perhaps floating it putting it public in a few years, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, so... I that's like, that's a moment. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's, like, important to keep options open, isn't yeah. it? Like, you're a businesswoman, you're, yes. like, thinking about what the right things are and for the business. And it feels like the natural next steps. Um, we've got really quite big online. We do have our, like, physical stores. We have physical stores in the US. We have yeah. this deal with Nordstrom. So it just seems like the natural kind of next big step. Yeah. And obviously in the next few years, we'll continue to grow more. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, as a brand, we're just starting to diversify product as well more. We have our bridal line. Mm-hmm. We will be having beauty. It won't be leaking like the no. um, first ones 10 years ago. What do you think about social media's role in kind of fueling this like entrepreneur community? <sighs> I don't love it, actually. You know, I love the idea of people having easy, accessible knowledge for free without having to go to, like, university or Mm -hmm. without having to spend lots of money learning and failing and doing all that kind of thing. But just, like, lots of the workshops and things where they're, like, charging people. And I'm like, is there... I don't know, they're charging people, like, a £1,000. I'm like, are you really going to give them a £1,000 worth of knowledge? I don't know. I just... Maybe. I I mean, yeah, I'm also, like, none of the people giving those talks have ever run yes. a successful business yeah and um for me I just don't love it and I think that a lot of people have microphones and things to say and they just say it really slowly and people think that it's like important information and mm. it's not 
when running a business, it's so simple. Just don't spend more than you earn and you just have to keep going at it and being critical mm. of the brand and yourself at all times. And that's pretty much that's it. That's good advice. Yeah. That's it at the end. And I think as well, entrepreneurship, um, like anything else, is like a talent. And some people have it and some people don't. Mm. And that's not to say that you're not talented in somewhere else. I'm not an athlete. I wouldn't be able to compete at athlete oh, I'll things. I'll never say never. <laughs> Why do you think entrepreneurialism has become so sexy? I think that the idea of it is really nice. The idea of like having the freedom to do what you want. Mm. And I think that actually a lot of people do have an entrepreneurial talent and there is mm. so much that you can do. But... At the same time, I think that it's almost kind of selling people a, a dream a little bit. Mm. Um, and then people get kind of disenchanted and don't realise that actually some of the overnight things have taken 10 years. Yeah. And, and also it's like not that fun all the time. It's not that fun. And you are responsible for yourself. And then if you have a team, you're responsible for that team. And it's very mm. stressful that if, you know, you haven't made enough money this month, you can't pay your team or whatever yeah. else. How are you going to figure that out? Yeah. And it's a lot of risk and you have to put you... I, for most people, you have to put your own money up mm -hmm. and you can lose that money. You yeah. are gambling and you have to trust in yourself and you're not going to get it right every time. Yeah. And sometimes that mistake might be fatal to your yeah. business. And other times you might be like, you know what, this isn't working. Let me try something else. Let me mm -hmm. try a different business and that's fine. Just to take sports from what you just said, like if you're an athlete, you can't like blag your way into mm -hmm. like the Olympics. There's no... Yes. There's no shortcut. You can't just yeah. like start a YouTube channel and like pretend yes. you're an athlete and then go to the Olympics. And yeah. I think there's a lot of, you know, similarly with like personal trainers or doctors, like there are these, or dermatology or whatever, mm -hmm. like you can't just pretend. Yeah. And it's like if you went to a chiropractor and they were like, oh, I'm not trained, but I just like had a bad back when I was 20, you'd be like... <laughs> and I watched some videos. Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, absolutely not. <laughs> but in entrepreneurialism, it's like, it's this really weird thing where I'm like, people want to be seen as a founder. It's weird. It's a weird balance, isn't it? Because I know exactly what you mean. I think a lot of people want to start a business actually to be famous. And I think that's different from right. people that want to start a business to be entrepreneurs and have a business and have that freedom yeah. that hopefully will eventually come from your business. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people do go into it as more of like, this is me branding myself and I want to be famous of yeah. this and that's fine but if you want to be famous just go for being famous yeah I'm not against it go for it Fuck don't it. pretend you yeah want. <laughs> yeah and I think for me personally kind of as we've said like there's a lot of people who've built their personal brands first mm. and then their business is second which makes a lot of sense you yeah. build a following for you as a celebrity whatever it might yeah. be and then sell to that following and then sell to that following yeah. yeah but I think if you aren't famous then it's best to build your person not your personal brand your actual brand mm -hmm. um and then your personal brand takes a back seat and that's yeah. not to say you can't do things like you know i'm doing this podcast yeah but my personal brand doesn't which i'm hugely grateful for <laughs> no thank you um but yeah and i think a lot of people conflate entrepreneurship and perhaps being famous because mm -hmm. entrepreneurship probably has always like there's always some famous entrepreneurs the yeah. same as there's some famous whatever. i guess also like it's become set you know like you think about these pop culture influences, but even a lazy example being like the Kardashians and people who've talked mm -hmm. very publicly about wanting to take equity in businesses or mm -hmm. start their own thing or have ownership. And, yeah. you know, they're sort of now on the cover of Forbes and seen as like powerful women. Yes. And perhaps people don't realise 
what they've done prior to that too. Mm-hmm. You know, they would never have been able to create what they have now if they hadn't had that. If they hadn't enormous built their fame. personal brand. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And I think as well, things sound so easy online, like the clips and stuff that you're talking about. They make everything sound so easy. They're like, oh, just put your money into this. Yeah. Do and then you'll yeah. get this money back. And it's like, no, you're risking it. Yeah. It's a gamble. Not to say you shouldn't do it, but you should, you know, really take the time to consider whether it's something mm. you can afford, whether it's something you really want to do, and whether it's something you really feel like I'm going to do well at this Mm. well I guess it's like interesting as well because that influences across the board like you can probably get more preferable terms on with your production or your Mm. suppliers if you're famous and your famous friends post you know your PR mailers and you know like there's a lot within the network that's Mm going to be really advantageous if you're in that position absolutely and like if you're in that position absolutely capitalize on it and do everything you can but I think if you're a normal person that wants to have your own business then it's best to focus on the business first and when the business is good and it's running and you feel like you can take 10 minutes away from it to do something else then sure build your personal brand why not yeah but yeah I don't I don't love the entrepreneurial post there's like some I like I guess but there's just so many that I feel like are just selling a dream and it's like Mm -hmm. they're so irresponsible I don't know. I know. I'm. I'm so with you. I mean, I'm asking the question because I <laughs> no, wanted you to say that. Um, I want to talk to you about money. Yes. You know, I think there's a reality that like running a business is ultimately about making money. Like, if yes. you were 14 years in and you hadn't made any money, you probably would have thought about doing something else. Yeah. Have you found it hard to talk about money, or does it? Um, does your like P and L becomes a set of numbers that are part of your strategy? Oh no. P&L is the most important thing. Yeah. That's what comes first. I mean, you can't build anything worth building if you're not making any money. Yeah. You can't hire lots of people and pay them well if you're not making any money. You can't create better products if you're not making any money because everything costs money. Good yeah. team costs money. Workplace costs money. Yeah. If you want to be the best at what you're doing, it costs money. It doesn't, you know. Like, and that's why a lot of people get investment. Yes, yes. Because money essentially is speed. Yes. I don't worry about talking about money. I never really disclose my numbers. Of course. I feel like that's such an American thing, though. Americans love disclosing numbers, and I'm just like, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I think also when it's your own business, it's like, it's really personal, and it's like, you don't want you know it's yeah. like when people raise money they haven't got 20 million in their personal account like it's, yeah. it's very they're very like abstract numbers without context but I yes. just think it's interesting like a lot of people find it and a lot of women find it difficult to talk mm-hmm. about money because it's yeah. not something that necessarily we're exposed to yes did you ever find that hard or I mean I, earlier on you mentioned like do not spend more than you have has it always yes. just been really clear to you like um it's yeah work? it's been pretty clear to me and like I don't like to talk publicly about numbers, but I will happily talk to them with my accountant and everything else. You know, there's obviously a lot of clarity there. And yeah, it's just the basics of owning a business and owning a company Mm -hmm. is that you can't spend more than you have. And in a very simple way, that is literally like the fundamentals. But obviously it gets quite complex. That that isn't as easy as it sounds in that statement, you know. If you want to scale, then you have to spend more money than perhaps you're earning for the next couple months. Um, And you have to decide if you can afford to do that or not or whether it's worth it and that kind of thing. And whether you want that, like, personal anxiety yeah, of trying to yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. And there's also a case of at your business, do you decide like, hey, this is the level that I'm happy at. I had mm. a conversation with one of my friends who's a business person and um, he was like, yeah, I just, I'm happy where my business is at. Yeah. I don't necessarily like want 
more I'm yeah. really comfortable where I am um, well, yeah and it's also like what numbers you look at right because mm-hmm. I think so I run an agency and I know someone who ran an agency that their revenue was like 25 million mm-hmm. and they made like 100 grand but the, what is the point and I'm like why do you have You're an infrastructure of, a, of, <laughs> of 25 million yes to make that when you could probably have a revenue of five and make two if you were smart yes and pay yourself a decent and you yes. just sort of think headcount can just be kind of vanity yes and, it and, really is yeah. and and at the end of the day when you're running a company you own a company the most important number is the profit yeah yeah and i know a lot of a lot of investment is made into brands that prove that they can have high revenue and, and then the hopes are that over the next few years that that will start to balance out that yeah. you know the spend that they've done fingers crossed well, yes it's like, yeah but i think when you own your own business and you don't have investment then it's better to be slow and steady yeah. and make sure or try and make sure that you have as much profit as you can mm-hmm. and you invest back into your business in a way that you can afford Mm-hmm. that the company can afford um, and you grow like that yeah. rather than just like a huge deep plunge I mean fuck it if you have millions to burn yeah. go for burn the plunge them. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's funny as well like the way you started it's like when I I mean I started with like I think my first client paid me like 250 quid a month which mm-hmm. was embarrassing obviously but I was 22 and I was like sure I'll just do that yeah. like five or six times and then you know exactly and, and, you're good. and then you and then someone pays you two and then someone and then you get someone paying you five mm-hmm. and then you're like well, with that, if they sign for 12 months, I can hire someone. And it mm-hmm. literally is that, like, building yes. blocks. Yeah. And it's a bit of snakes and ladders. But, like, I always think if someone had given me money, yeah. I would have fucked it. Because there's no way I would have known how to spend that money well No, at absolutely. Time. And I do think, personally, I think a slow burn where you have total control... Mm-hmm. is better than a fast burn where maybe like you've got a load of money from someone yeah. and you've got investors and investors are breathing down your neck and I've seen a lot of brands that are really cool brands and then they get investors and then the brands just like turn to shit because the investors expect so much yeah. and, and then they think that you know they know better than whoever was already in yeah. there and, and in some cases I'm sure they do but in other cases they just kind of ruin the brands and then the brands just... Or like wear the founder down. I mean, I would say I've had investors in my business, so I didn't need them in an agency model, but lots of our clients obviously do. And like their investor meetings are the worst part of their week. And And I just think think you just, you're like, oh, I don't want to work for anyone. And then you've got like seven angry bosses is what you've done to yourself. Who also often don't necessarily understand what it is that you're doing and what's made it successful up until this point. And they are like just numbers. They're like, you lied to me two years ago and said you could do this run rate at this point. Exactly. Yeah, it is a very... I, mean, I think a lot of people are just told that's what they should do. I know. And I think in America as well, I've noticed that a lot of people are very quick to get investment. And I just personally, I mean, every business is different and it's mm. there's no flat rule for every, anything. But I do feel like if you can last as long as possible mm. without investors. Well, I guess it's also like, what do you want to do? Like, I think yeah. I love my job and I was never trying to make a quick buck and get out mm-hmm. and like go to a beach. That, that wasn't sort of my trajectory and it was always like I want to learn as much as I can I want to be the best at my job so that I have a bit more flexibility Mm -hmm. so that when I'm older I can pick and choose more and I can but it was never like to not work and obviously being paid a load of money or selling your business for a lot of money gives you a lot of options to Mm -hmm. then invest in other businesses and continue to work but like for a lot of the people I work with who are successful there's it's not like I just want to turn this in two years and get out it's like I want to create a lifestyle where I can Mm -hmm be interested and support other people and learn, yes. you know like it, it's sort of that's the trajectory yeah. so in that sense like 
a 20 year plan isn't necessarily a like horrifying length of time yeah no not at all and it's also one of those things of, for me at least I like to have something to do yeah I like to have a job I like to have something to keep me interested and I think with House of CB it's kept me interested and I've always wanted to push it further and yeah. not even necessarily for the brand but just for me to be like okay what's next what's the next level it's a bit mm. like playing a game you know yeah. and you're like okay let's move to the now next level beauty. what can we do next yeah exactly yeah. and so I think if you are happy to do that then it's good to not necessarily have the investment yeah what are some of the most valuable investments you've made to scale the business? So I think one of the main ones, if you have a um, like a brand, like a clothing brand mm-hmm. or something with like tangible stock, one of the biggest investments you're going to make is in your stock. Yep. Because if you only have, let's say, 100 pieces, you can only make the sales of those 100 pieces. So then if you want to sell, I don't know, if you want to quadruple your sales or whatever, then you need to quadruple your stock. Yeah, you've got to outlay that first. Basically. Yes, but you have to spend that before you get it back. And then you also can't grow too quickly because then you're not going to have enough money. Yeah. So I think that one of the most important investments in the first place, well, not in the first place, ongoing, is your stock and managing that accurately. You want to increase your stock enough to have more sales, but not too much where you're stuck with stock, yeah. where now you haven't got any cash flow. And also then there's infrastructure that comes with that. So if you want to do 10,000 more dresses, can your factory hold that? Mm. Do you need bigger warehousing? Do you need a bigger warehouse? Uh, sorry, factory. Do you need mm. more staff to make those clothes? And they're all costs that you have to put in before you can get to that next And I guess, are stage. you also plotting in like any return rates or of course. like all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, you have there? to consider all of that. And so does that mean that, so you now have your own factories? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has been an investment, right? Mm-hmm. But but prior to that, you didn't. Yes. Did you hear sort of horror stories about brands mm-hmm. like getting locked in on long-term contracts or there being issues with supply chain or whatever? Did you yeah. find that quite straightforward or were there ever um, any, any speed bumps? I mean, for me, I won't work with anybody whose terms don't suit me. Yeah. So if you have terms that I don't like, it's just not for me. And I will just be like, no problem, I will find somebody else. Yeah. Um, and everything is always negotiating and... You have to know how much power you have in the situation. If you have, you know, low order numbers and yeah. you're going to a huge factory that deals with people with that are ordering hundreds of thousands, you're not going to be a priority for them. Mm. And so don't bother. Yeah. If you're selling a million dresses a week, it's like, yeah, yeah. we're going to do it this way. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> but it's also finding people who are at the level you're at for you to have, you know, if you're not producing big numbers, find a factory that also doesn't produce big numbers Mm -hmm. and you will be a valuable client to them and you will have more negotiating power. But everything's a negotiation and you can always negotiate your terms and you don't have to accept somebody's terms just because those are the terms they've given you. And why did it become the right thing for you to have your own factory? Just for more control over the product. We had a bunch of different things. Just, you know, we're known for the quality of our product for our price point and keeping that consistent was quite difficult when you're spread out over a few different factories. It's not impossible, but it's a little difficult. And then also just like we get copied loads. We literally would have people steal our patterns and stuff and sell That's them. tough to see. I know, yeah. I know. But it's fine. It's part of the game of the business. It's no yeah. big deal. But just it was just better for us. We have more control as we have the Nordstroms. We have our physical locations. We yeah. have online. When we want to scale to bigger, when we want to introduce yeah. new retailers, we have the control to be able to do that. Whereas lots of factories don't necessarily mm. have that ability. Um, lots of them are booked up, you know, like you said, for a year or mm. two. And then it makes it very difficult to scale with them 
And how many products sit on your site at one time? Oh, my God, loads. So we have a more interesting model. We work seasonally and some stuff will drop off, but we'll also restock some that just... The hero products. Yeah, that just keep selling throughout the year. So, oh, my God, there's got to be, like... I would say there's probably a solid 2,000 on there. We do about 500 styles a year-ish, give or take. Christ, yeah. And then how roughly... Which bracket of number are you going through a week in terms of sales? Oh, my God. A lot. <laughs> are we talking over a million? Yeah. Yeah. Easy. So, so but just you can see how that becomes much more efficient to consolidate yes. under sort of one roof, yes. as it's it were. Yes, it's too much of a big beast now. And we do, we do use some for specific types of products that other factories are maybe better at. Mm-hmm. We'll use them sometimes. But yeah, just in general, it's easier for us to control. Do you still think back to when you like made a sale on eBay and it was like yes. eighty pounds and yeah? Account? I was like, oh my god, that was so much easier. I wish I'd gone and done something else. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, sorry, going back yeah. to your investment question, yes. also staff and your team. Yeah, I feel like that's a really big investment that's worth it or should be worth it if you're hiring the right people has that been easy for you Um, I know recruitment and hiring is a massive challenge especially like a growth team is very different have you found that hard have you worked with recruiters you presumably have people in-house now yeah we have people in-house but yeah we've worked with recruiters but also it's just like realizing what you need like sometimes you don't necessarily realize what you need and you're like, I need someone to do this and that, but what is that? Mm. <laughs> or you're like, last year we were doing this, and so mm-hmm. those people were kind of right, but actually we're now doing this, yeah. and that's different. And, and similarly so, to mm-hmm. the stock, if you want to like scale and grow, you're going to have to put other people in yeah. that can help you do that. And you want to find people that obviously are talented and good, and yeah. anything you pay someone, you hope that over that time they are bringing that and more Mm. back into the company. But yeah, it's just one of those things. And you also don't want too many staff when then no decisions are being made. But I think it's also really hard when you're like, I've got a much smaller business than yours, but I've got a team of 25. And when I was a team of four or five and you like celebrate everyone's birthday and Mm -hmm. like there's, and then you, you get to 25 and I mean, for you, it's like thousands, but you can't, (laughs) you can't, keep those sort of cultural small business things yeah. consistent there's obviously a tone that you can have mm-hmm. and you can still look after people but yes. it's just totally unrealistic at it scale is. and so it's quite a weird thing to navigate yeah. to kind of drop that stuff off and probably for you too having been in an environment where like the people I worked with when I was a lot smaller I still speak to because mm-hmm. there's a special thing that happens that's really hard to do when you're of course. bigger yeah and then yeah when you're bigger you're interacting more with your more key staff yeah and not necessarily everyone but then it's also harder to like keep control of everything that's going on you yeah. know and if we need these people if we don't do we need other people are yeah. these in the best place for them but yeah so I guess that is an investment that I would say is like one of the most important investments you can put into your company. Have you found it easy to delegate? Or do you still um, feel like you're you're like keeping one eye on the Oh, I am. You can't I, ask too many, I always just, am. Yeah. I'm actually just really lurking. controlling. <laughs> I'm super controlling. I do delegate, but I'm also I'm quite a perfectionist and yeah. quite controlling. You'll delegate, but you'll just like double check what they've done. Yeah, yeah perfect. I'm like, okay, I don't love this, change it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received about building business? I think it's actually to try and just literally just try. Try a bunch of different stuff. Yep. Just give it a go. Just try. Don't bother waiting for everything to be perfect. Um, you literally just have to start mm-hmm. and you just have to try. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't matter if 
it works or doesn't work. And obviously, in the scheme of things, that's a, it's like I said, a privileged thing to be able to say. But you know, ignoring that, I guess it's best to just give things a go. Yeah. If there's something you want to try, just try it. If you want to, you know, change, cool, no problem. Yeah. And I think realistically, what happens is when you try a bunch of different things, at least one of them will stick. Yeah. And something you'll be like, oh, okay, this works. Cool. Yeah, we'll and go then, with that. <laughs> and then you go with that. Yeah. Do you have any work rules or mantras that you live by? I feel like everything you can like, there's an answer to everything. There's mm-hmm. a solution to everything. Um, it may not be a solution that you love, but there is a solution. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been many times in work where I'm like, oh my God, I'm pulling my hair out. I'm like, I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Verge of a breakdown. I'm like, there is no way out. Yeah. And there is always a solution to things. And... You just always have to think, like, what is the solution to this? And sometimes it might be, hey, what I'm doing is not working. I have to change this. And as in for my way of working, I'm quite critical of myself and the company and I'm always assessing it. And I think that that is good. Important, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that for you know, future like momentum and progress. Exactly, you want to always find what you're doing wrong. What you, not necessarily wrong, but what you can be doing better. Yeah, and keep pushing that. <laughs> what do you know now that would have been helpful to know ten years? ago? I think that I had to do all of that to know what I know. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily change it. But I think really trusting my own judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, I think that I was like, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm 22. What am I doing? Yeah, exactly. Or um, I'm 17 or whatever you are. Yeah, at. exactly. But yeah, trusting my own judgment and also just not being afraid to just be like, no, this is how I want to do things mm-hmm. and this is how we're going to do it. And that's not to say you shouldn't listen to people because you should be hiring people that are more talented in than you in different areas and that can show you new things and whatever else but I think as a business owner you always have to trust your your gut and your intuition and you have to stick with that and the times that I've gone wrong is whenever I've like wavered on that maybe yeah I guess it's like sometimes you've got to be a bit circular before you can move on again but I do I know what you mean I think I always think like I've never been wrong I've just taken too long to say it like you know every time yeah you know you hire someone and they show up on the first day and you're like fuck we fucked that up yeah and you're like it's gonna take us three months to like figure it out yes and that's the thing I probably learned is like learning to get on with that those decisions Mm -hmm. sooner because you always know exactly you do and I think that there's only really one thing you can stand by and it's that gut feeling yeah and I always feel like okay if I go with that gut feeling and it's wrong then that's fine Mm. with me at least I know that I like went with that yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's never wrong I know yeah exactly <laughs> never ever yeah, ever it's never me. been wrong um how do you keep learning I think you just keep putting yourself out there you keep trying new things I think you just have to do things that might make you a little uncomfortable yeah and that are a little different for you mm-hmm. um and that can be in like a plethora of different ways right now we're hiring a bunch of different people and me giving up that like control yeah. to them I'm like ah yeah but you know you have to. You have to do things that you're not necessarily always... Comfortable with. Yeah. You travel a lot. Do you mm. listen to podcasts? Do you... <laughs> not really. <Yeah. laughs> Never so, heard of this sorry. one. Um, I don't know why no one else is listening either. But do you, like, do you network? Do you... Um, are you very social? I'm not a networking social type person. I think for me, learning is very much a putting myself in the position to do things um, and just learning on the job. And yeah, that's mostly how I kind of learn and how I try things. I do like reading. I do think that there's quite a lot of books that are quite good to read. 
if you own a business, you want to own a business, they're great to read, but they're still not as good as just going in there and getting on with it and failing, trying, seeing, succeeding in some, and yeah, and just trying. But it's also always really good to just meet like-minded people, obviously, and bounce ideas around because you might be seeing things from one perspective Mm -hmm. and then loads of people have really important, helpful things. Yeah. Um, that they can tell you and you may not agree with most of the stuff they say but they might have insight on one thing that's really helpful a lot of people are always looking for a mentor and stuff and I get asked to be a mentor quite a lot and I'm not in a position or an age where I'm like yeah you don't want to help anyone I don't want to help anyone fuck everyone I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know what you mean it's like I can't give you that now yeah I can't give you that now but also I think that um, a lot of the times people are very insistent on having a mentor yeah and I'm like just go out and just try things and you'll find people that are um like-minded and they will not necessarily be be your your mentor but yeah they think you can bounce around ideas with them and they'll give you really good feedback Mm -hmm. and you can take it or leave it it's up to you you know have you achieved work-life balance no Shock. <laughs> do you do you do you strive for that? Is that something um, you think is compatible with your your lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite lucky that the position I'm in now, I don't have to like. I can make my own hours and stuff, but at the same time, that it is still such a beast that like my input is needed and yeah. my response is needed. So I can't really just disappear for like three months and just not do anything. Yeah. Um, Where would you go? I don't know. Anywhere, please save me. <laughs> um, <laughs> anywhere but the office um (laughs) but I obviously I can you know if I want to go take a trip I can I can work from wherever I want to work from so I have that flexibility Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty happy with that at Mm -hmm. present how do you define success being happy with where you're at in your life is probably what I would consider success Mm. I don't know if I'll ever get there no I was gonna uh... say let me know when you when you reach that There might be a day where you're like at peace and you're like, yeah, it's big enough. I like, um, you know, yeah, this is where we are. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll just keep finding. Maybe it's when you're ringing the bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, Productivity can be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're also bombarded by social media telling us we ought to be more productive in many Mm -hmm. ways. The podcast is called the Busyness Podcast. Everyone's sort of constantly saying they're busy. Mm -hmm. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Oh my god, watching TV. <laughs> would you? What would you watch? Oh, I love. I love so much junk. Junk. What are we talking? Oh, I'm obviously watching Love Island right now. Okay, yeah, terrible, has, yeah. awful. But I also love like Peaky Blinders and Game of Thrones and that kind of thing. Okay, um, but my a lot unwind, of British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's next? What can we expect to see in the um, next six, twelve months? So we are opening a new store in London, a really big store. So it's gonna be exciting. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be our new flagship. And then, yeah, we're opening new stores in the US, mm-hmm. rolling out all new product lines, bridal again, really focusing on that next year. Yeah, bridal's been huge for you, hasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. Our new uh, London flagship will have, like, a huge bridal suite and stuff, which we've never had before. Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, and just getting ready to float this bitch. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see. Um, I'll, I'll be watching. I mean, it's so exciting. I've absolutely no doubt that you'll do that. Um, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me I've loved it it's been brilliant and (laughs) it's honestly I know you're I know I'm embarrassing but it is extraordinary what you've achieved and it is so inspiring and I'm sure so many different people listening to this who are all different stages of their entrepreneurial journey will be hugely grateful for your honesty and openness so thank you very much well thank you for having me it's been really fun